Therefore, put away all filthiness and rank growth of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. From the epistle of James, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Over the past few months, I have watched, as have many of you, as dark places have been uncovered. Dark places in the church. The stories are deeply disturbing, and I mean to say something about them this morning. So if you have little ears, you might want to go take a 15-minute walk and catch this message on the podcast with headphones. There is not enough time in one Sunday homily to mention all of it. There are stories of immense sexual depravity, priests impregnating teenagers and then procuring abortions for them, countless acts of pedophilia, child pornography, sexual abuse, and rape. We have learned of a highly organized and pervasive culture of homosexuals who have risen to prominence in that church, in the Roman Catholic Church, and in the case of one at least, a cardinal who often shared his bed with seminarians and specifically raised up a generation of morally corrupt clergy and himself abused teenage boys. These are reports of, there are reports of two weeks ago that the Pope himself knew of this and rescinded Benedict XVI's unpublished discipline of this cardinal, Theodore McCarrick. Last week, two priests were, in, were arrested for performing sex acts on each other in Miami Beach while they were on vacation. And that's just one story among hundreds. There are hundreds of stories like this, many of which never see the light or the cords. Two blind eyes are turned. One is the church hierarchy, which has continually refused to act in a meaningful and responsible manner. Just recently, Pope Francis refused unequivocally inside St. Peter's Basilica to address the accusation made by this one-time papal nuncio to the United States that he knew about Theodore McCarrick's multiple homosexual dalliances. Countless priests have said, yes, we knew this was going on, but we stayed silent because we didn't want to be sent packing from the seminaries or removed from our posts. The other blind eye is the press, who are in a considerable pickle. Here, the current scandal is not primarily about pedophilia. It's about active homosexuals who have risen to power in the church through a mix of deception, secrecy, and blackmail. That press seems unsure as to how to tell the story without being castigated as homophobic or without challenging changing cultural mores on human sexuality and marriage. At this point, I want to say that this problem is not with homosexuals. There are many Christians of immense sanctity that identify as having attraction to the same sex and who live in a state of chastity. These people are heroes. Heroes. The men I'm talking about today are scoundrels and sexual predators. They have brought scandal upon the Church of God and judgment upon their own souls. And this is not just a Roman Catholic problem. It's a problem for the whole Church. Just this past week, the rector of one of the largest parishes in the Anglican Church in North America was removed from his post by his excellent, and I mean excellent, bishop for allegations partly of a sexual nature. When I was in seminary, I witnessed sexual misconduct of the worst kind. 
A man whom I consider this to this day to be a sexual predator lived next door to me. And I later found out that many of my former classmates, some ordained, some not, have been found to be men of extremely poor character, living double lives. Publicly, they're considered to be kind priests, but privately, they're involved in ongoing sexual sin that some people know about and most people don't. It has happened in this diocese. It has happened in churches in this town, and the church needs to have a clear response to this kind of filth and wickedness. It damages our witness to the gospel. In sadly too many cases, the response has been one of a few options. The first is one of outright denial. No way that could happen among us, they say, and the claims go uninvestigated. Victims continue to be victims, and the perpetrators of sexual sin continue to bring scandal to the church, and indeed those in power remain in power. The second is perhaps worse, and we see it in the severe mishandling of these cases I've already mentioned. The logic goes something like this. So long as no crime was committed, and we're really talking about a moral failure that can be forgiven, and so long as these, these clergy are then allowed to continue in their posts. And what you get is a kind of leadership, is a, is a leadership structure that is complicit in deep wickedness and sin that has severe consequences. A kind of blindness sets in. And as one of you shared with me this past week, it's a kind of aphasia where someone thinks they're blind even though they can see. These people know what is going on around them, and yet they claim not to see it. If you read some of the accounts released by the grand jury in Pennsylvania a month ago, you'll see over and over again that a bishop knew about this kind of misconduct, and rather than dealing with it head on with meaningful action, made excuses, found a middle ground, and the conduct continued. More victims, more scandal, more opportunity for the gospel to be discredited and for this kind of thing to take deep root. The words of the Apostle James could not be more clear. Therefore, put away all, all. All means the same in Greek as it does in English, by the way all filthiness and rank growth of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The therefore there, therefore put away all filthiness, refers to the anger we feel at such instances. But James says that anger does not work the righteousness of God. And I'm sad to say we live in a culture where anger actually sometimes and most often replaces meaningful action. If I blow up in anger on Facebook, I've done something about it. Yay me. Anger don't mean crap. The trouble has been consistently hearers of the word only and not doers. Those who look in the mirror see themselves and they quickly forget who they are. They have time for short-lived momentary introspection into the state of their souls, into the state of their lives, their sinful lives, and they quickly forget. In fact, they try to forget as soon as possible. They live to ignore the law of God. 
They live to ignore their deep failures, their filth, and their abuse. And their collaborators, those who turn a blind eye, are no different. And sadly, this has been often depicted as an abuse of power. I've got to tell you, it's power that's not being used. The truth is something else entirely. Weak men exhibiting inexcusable weakness in the face of great evil. If you think that powerful men are a problem, you should see what weak men are capable of. The answer is right in scripture. Put it away. Put away all filthiness and rank growth of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The answer for the Roman Catholic Church as well as for our own is simple. Put this filth away. And not just among the clergy, but for you all as well. Put away wickedness. Don't be weak about it. Don't act in weakness and timidity. Be brutal. Don't say, I'll deal with it in a month or so, or it'll eventually go away. Be decisive. Don't be quick to speak, but uncover the truth, and when you've found it, be quick to act. We human beings have an immense capacity to sit idly by in the face of evil, and it has disastrous consequences. And some of you might think that I'm not speaking directly to you this morning. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Some of you are involved in sexual sin at a very deep level, and the time to act is now. Some of you work in Christian organizations, universities, where sin and wickedness are tolerated and you tolerate it. The pressure is ratcheted up year by year, bit by bit, and you are silent at the very moment when you ought to speak and act. And others continue, mute and deaf, mute and deaf, deaf and mute, because no implanted word is spoken, no one is called to account, no one is held responsible. And someday, beloved, the chickens will come home to roost. And we'll have a scandal to deal with at a very high level. And you know what? The media won't give a rip about it. The Roman Catholic Church, my friends, is under God's judgment today. And that means the church is under judgment. We can't say not our problem, not my circus, not my monkey. Very much is our circus. There is no other way to describe it. The church is under judgment for impetus, impotence in the face of great evil and scandal, a consistent failure to put away filth and wickedness from our midst. No church is immune to this judgment. Some of you might say, well, I'm not really in that position. I'm not really in a position to do anything about anything. Yet you live in a household, or you might live in a family, you might live alone, and you can surely identify sin and filth and wickedness that has come under your own roof. Cruel words spoken, decrepit thoughts, dehumanizing images, evil acts. And you might think, I can keep this private, no problem, it'll be fine. I'll live, it'll all be good. 20 years from now, I'll deal with it. 20 years from now, no one will know. You're dreaming. If it's in your world, it's only a matter of time. If it's in your house, someday it will be uncovered. And the truth is, the Lord knows. 
Your idleness in the face of evil is not virtue. It's not faith. It's not purity. It's not kindness. It's a stain. And you might be surprised to hear of it. People already know. So you might ask at this point, what is needed? What can we do? We can do quite a lot, actually. We can have zero tolerance for misconduct in our midst. Is that a start? Zero tolerance. We can be honest and forthright about it. We can put up safeguards to keep our children and our families safe from abuse, especially sexual abuse. We can seek repentance for our many failures. But the greatest weapon is not what we can do and not what we can say, but something much, much, much more powerful and much, much, much greater. The gift of God and the implanted word. The word, to put it simply, made flesh, Jesus Christ, who is able to save and deliver us from every evil. And not just the idea of Jesus or nice thoughts about Jesus, but the incarnate word planted in the heart where the human will may be reformed, remade, made new. The implanted word brings action, meaningful action as our lives are transformed. And the tough truth about sin is that it doesn't originate outside of us. It's not parasitic. It doesn't come in from somewhere else. It comes straight from the heart. G.K. Chesterton rather famously and probably fictitiously responded to a newspaper that opposed the question, what is wrong with the world? He wrote, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> he understood that sin originates in the human heart divorced from the living word of God. It corrupts the will, it blinds the eyes of faith and leads us to self-conceit, alienation from God, from creation and from each other. To be a recipient of the implanted word by faith means that you and I are objects of God's sanctifying grace, grace that leads us to lives of action. But friends, that is not automatic. You can fight God's grace. You can reject God's grace. You can sin so boldly as to lose it. You can work contrary to it. You can become so utterly deluded as to think that real sanctity in this life is impossible over and above the objection of the saints. Or that real sanctity is not really the will of God. It's just a sort of love me as I am, just as I am without one plea. It's not what that song means, by the way, but we often use it that way. And as we have observed, this is not only deadly for you, it's deadly for others. So what can be done? What on earth can be done? I would suggest this morning that the answer is not in what must be done, but what must be surrendered. James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. What can this mean but a kind of unconditional surrender to the living word, Jesus? Not I'll get around to sanctity at some point, I'll put this out of my house at some point. I'll get rid of that at some point. Not let me live some of my life first and figure out some really important things. There is nothing more important. 
Not let me get my finances in order. Not let me get my mortgage paid off or my convictions and my theology sorted out first. As an aside, people with no convictions and no solid theology are those who approach the living God in pride and arrogance, not humility and meekness. And there really is no other way. They are weak because their only strength is their own. No, nothing will do but total unconditional surrender. And that is why James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Listen to what James says in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, and it will be given to him. James is clear. The double-minded, those who lack wisdom, cannot receive the good gifts of the Lord. Why is that the case? They want to retain their own sensibilities, their own beliefs, their own sense of what is right and wrong, their own sense of the good and the true and the beautiful. And thus James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And let the rich boast in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. The answer is for James to say, boast of what you do not have. Because you're going to die. And it's not going to matter much then. And that would be many of us. And let me tell you, it is in our fallen nature to hate humiliation. Who here hates to be humiliated? That's what's being avoided in all these scandals, isn't it? It's, you hate humiliation so much that your pride says, just sweep it under the rug. Make sure nobody knows about it. We hate to have our pride abased. We hate submission. We hate feeling lower class than we think we deserve to be. But this is the way to sanctity for those who are rich, for those who have, and that's pretty much everybody here. Get humiliation going. And I'll just tell you, the best way to get humiliation going is to go to confession, if there's anything like that on you. Fast. <laughs> no, the humble person knows that every good gift comes from the Father alone. You cannot make goodness and truth. You cannot contrive them. They are gifts. And as gifts, they are received, not gotten. And their receipt entails surrender. Receive with meekness, James says, the implanted word. Think about this, this deaf and dumb man. Do you like having mud made of spit and put in your ears? It's humiliating, yes. It's a humble act. And yet Jesus, as he applies this to this man's ears, says, Ephatha, be opened, be laid bare and open to the word of God implanted. Receive the word in meekness. Well, what is meekness? Is it evil weakness? No. Meekness is something else, friends. Meekness requires not acting in anger and not acting in a way that's precipitous, 
but having a sword strapped to your, to your thigh and knowing when to pull it out and use it. That's what meekness is. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So let us be bold in the fight against sin and wickedness and evil. Let us take action first in our own lives. Let us get our own houses in order and let us take on evil even in God's holy church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.